with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about China's digital economy accounts for nearly 40% of its total GDP and what's behind this rapid development. And we will also take a look at the main reasons of U.S. tech giant's layoff trend. And now let's begin with our top story. A white paper suggests that China's digital economy has become a major growth engine for the country. The paper says the value of China's digital economy accounted for around 40% of its GDP in the year 2021. Zheng Chunying has more. The white paper introduces China's vision of internet development and governance, which is building a community with a shared future. And according to the officials, that vision should be based on multilateral and multi-party participation and consultation. The white paper also highlights China's achievements over the past few years when it comes to benefiting its people economically. It says by 2021, the value of the digital economy had reached 45.5 trillion accounting for nearly 40% of GDP and becoming a major growth engine. The paper praises the progress in China's digital technological innovation and application. You know, as part of its efforts to implement the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, China has promoted the Internet application in education, medical services, poverty alleviation, and also other public services as well. Well, the paper also highlights the efforts in improving China's cyber law system. The country has formulated and enforced a number of fundamental and comprehensive laws. Uh, these include the electronic commerce law, uh, electronic signature law, cybersecurity law, data security law, and personal information protection law. And uh, looking forward, the white paper also outlines China's determination in expanding its international cooperation and participating in uh, cyberspace governance. The goal is to promote the development of the digital economy worldwide and, more importantly, to jointly combat cyber crime and cyber terrorism. And that was Zheng Chunying reporting. So what has been driving the digital economy in China and what opportunities and challenges can we expect from this industry? So for more on this, join us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics and International Studies at Willamette University in the United States, Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So then first of all, the white paper Paper jointly built a community with a shared future in cyberspace was released earlier this week. So could you tell us about the highlights of this white paper? This white paper is quite comprehensive on China's stance on internet development for the coming decade. And the paper talked about a digital economy, cybersecurity, inclusive growth, and also uh, the internet regulation. Um, in the short term, people are mostly interested in where the internet policies will go. Uh, the regulation direction is quite important. 
Although there is no details in the paper, but we can clearly see the trend that the development of internet is in no way will be stalled in the coming years.、Mm. And talking about the digital economy, the U.S. digital economy continued to lead the world, followed by China, Germany, and Japan. So each country has its own unique situation. So Yan,、uh, what do all this figure tell us about the different strategies for the、uh, digital economy around the world? Right, so I think the digital economy really holds the future.、Um, I think, if anything, the pandemic has taught us that you know the digital economy it's a stabilizing you know factor, and it also helps build the connections with different sectors, different economies.、Um, it's very important、um, for all these countries' growth in the future. I think what difference、um, that we could see, you know, as a distinctive path of different countries' development is, you know, in China, I think the government plays a very instrumental and also unapologetic role in promoting digital economy. So, you know,、um, I think the grand strategy of promoting growth、uh, of promoting the digital economy. Was cemented in the 14th five-year plan,、um, where China, the government, has、um, promised and pledged to enhance its capabilities in the strategic、um, areas. Right. So these are really the leading technologies like quantum computing, AI, I,、uh, integrated circuits, blockchain,、uh, cloud services, 6G, new materials, etc., etc. So I think the government is really having this vision and provide the governance structure. The institutional support,、um, the financing,、um, and also various ways to encourage the development of the sector.、Mm. Um, I think other countries also are doing the same thing, but I think、um, a lot of times their governmental efforts are in disguise.、Um, they are praising the, the, the markets, right, in doing、um, all this work. But as a matter of fact, I think the government is behind a lot of these basic research and development. Um, but I think what China is unique in the sense、um, it, is that it really builds the synergy between the government's and the private sector's efforts.、Um, and one again, I wanted to just one example,、um, which is really stands out to me, is how China、um, develops and、uh, promotes its digital currency, right? Where the government is always at the center. Um, unlike in some of the other countries.、Mm. So, Ina, so China is the second largest digital economy in the world, and the country actually showed the fastest growth of its digital economy in the past few years. So, to what can you attribute China's growth rate? Well, I mean,、uh, a, a number of things. It's it's the gearing of the way that China is manufacturing.、Um, China stands to gain tremendously. From、uh, the digital future, because remember, the digital future—it's not going to put bread on your table, but it will get the bread to your table more efficiently and at less cost. If you start taking up all the components that we start talking, you know, when we talk about this digital economy, what they do is they make things cheaper, better, faster. Mm. So then, so in the year 2021, the value of the digital economy in China was、uh, 45.5 trillion yuan. So, what's behind this incredible rise, and what are the driving forces behind the digital economy in China?、Uh, there are some common factors among different countries when it comes to the driver for the digital economy,、uh, like the development of the digital technology, acceptance of the general public, and so on. Um, but for China,、uh, I think two things really stand out、um, behind this number. One is its great effort to still upgrade its digital infrastructure.、Uh, this is in sharp contrast to many of the European countries, in particular Germany, 
So when we look at Germany, still a large fraction of the population do not have access to the high-speed internet. And that's not for a lack of effort, but in general, the industries will have better access, but the general public simply just do not have the sense or uh, care enough for this to be developed. And China's large population that's using the mobile internet is also a driving force. Uh, I would say there's a cultural element to it as well. Um, because when we look at China and Japan, the Japanese people also use a lot of cell phones, but they are in a way against mobile banking and not are not that so much into the e-commerce as much as the Chinese people. Mm. And those cultural factors and digital infrastructure really paved the way for China's fast growth. Mm. And then, as you mentioned, there were actually over 1 billion internet users in China. So what does it mean for the economy and what changes has it brought to the businesses and especially the lives of uh, the average person? And this is a rather large number for uh, the digital world. And when we look at the purchasing power uh, from Chinese consumers as a whole, it has been growing by more than 10% for the past 20 years. And now the upgrade of uh, people's living standard and also the fastest speed of urbanization is still underpinning uh, acceleration of this transition. So for companies around the world, there are more opportunities to explore. It is a harder market to get into now since um, the playing field is rather crowded. now. And so, Aina, so could you give us some examples of the digital economy's uh, applications such as the uh, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, especially in the areas of uh, education, medical care and other services? Well, uh, in medical care, one of the bigger ones is uh, reading of the uh, the charts. You know, when you, you go in and you do a CT scan to figure out whether or not you have cancer, if there's any kind of abnormalities, what they've discovered is uh, for the price of $1, you can have an AI reading of it, which is more accurate uh, than probably your, your, your regular doctor. So you, you're not going to get rid of the doctor. The doctor will be there, but um, the AI will do it at a much much cheaper price and far more accurately. And, and you can also apply that to uh, factory automation and things like this. Um, and AI uh, is not only helping in the design of the, of the products, but it's also uh, making sure that the factories are running more efficiently. There's uh, much, many more um, robots. Uh, if you start looking at the number of robots that China installed last year, it's more, it's almost more than the entire rest of the world. I mean, it's an incredible number. Number two is, you know, like uh, Japan, and they're far, far, far behind. Um, but in order to make those robots perform efficiently, you have to have an integrated uh, manufacturing floor. Uh, that means that, you know, everything that the robots are working on have to be there. Uh, you have to have current control. I mean, people understand that you know, electricity affects how things uh, work. If there's a surge in energy, it can speed things up. If there's a slowdown, it goes. So you have to have a tremendous amount of information being generated so that the factory is performing efficiently. When it does so, as I said, it creates more profits and uh, uh, decreases the amount of investment that you have. And you can go on into uh, monetary, uh, what the professor was talking about in terms of digital currency, uh, how that is going to work. Uh, China is really at the forefront in terms of a large-scale um, 
rollout of that, and they've been beta testing it for quite some time. But when that comes, it's, it really is about lowering the cost of transactions, uh, making it much more simple, uh, much more secure. Uh, this will be um, a massive revolution, and the country that is at the forefront of that is going to be setting the standards. Mm. So, Dan, so actually, Anna mentioned the factory, uh, you know, automation, the robots. But how about the uh, AI, big data, and Internet of Things have been applied in agricultural uh, production? Could you give us some examples? So agriculture is this one extreme example of uh, industry that is in severe shortage of data. Uh, and most of the work in agriculture, when it comes to collecting data, it's uh, painstakingly uh, done by humans. And for the surveys, uh, for example, animal feeding or the efficiency in management in the plantation, uh, there is a lack of understanding on how to improve productivity in those fronts. Uh, we have been tracking, actually, the investment in recent years in agriculture. And one big direction is uh, closely related to climate change, because about 90% of the agricultural loss is due to um, the change in weather. If we can figure out a way to improve the weather forecast, it could prevent about a quarter of this loss. Mm. And big money has been spent, both from the public sector and the private investments, and uh, for some of the fields in Xinjiang, because they are in large scale, so it's easier to deploy uh, certain technology uh, when it comes to sensor, using sensors. And it has good results. But if we want to have those technology using bigger scale, uh, there has to be a better way to finance uh, the related technology. And other investment uh, front would include things like harvest or robotics, um, because they would be more accurate in picking things like fruits and certain type of vegetables. And there's also a big debate on how much we should use uh, sensors and AI technology to prevent uh, food loss and waste along the supply chain and storage. Mm. A lot of applications of digital economy. But Yen, uh, talking about uh, development of the digital economy is held up by many as an uh, alternative to traditional forms of uh, economic activity that can generate sustainable growth and uh, narrow the inequality. But many others believe that technology and innovations have been widening the inequality gap. So what's your take on this? And is the digital economy a leveler or can it cause more economic inequality? Um, I think, you know, uh, technology, is, it could be uh, a double-edged sword. Um, so there is the concern about the so-called digital, um, you know, uh, inequality. Um, and I think to some extent, there there is um, some kernel of truth to that. Um, when you look at, for example, the urban-rural divide in that digital economy, um, the internet penetration rate in China, for example, in urban areas uh, reached about 75%, and in rural area is about half of that. Um, so there is, you know, this kinds of gap. That said, I do think that, you know, the internet or the digital economy in general also provides a lot of opportunities um, for, for example, um, you know, rural residents uh, when they're able to, for example, um, you know, uh, sell their products on the e-platforms and to be able to, you know, promote their uh, their 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 sales. 
So I think what needs to happen here is again the government can play a very significant role, um, as the government um, has recently uh, pledged to build the digital village strategy,、um, where there are various policies that are being set in motion to e-commercialize villages,、um, to also like Wang Dan pointed out earlier,、um, to improve agricultural、uh, technologies, right? To apply a lot of these digital. Um, technologies to agricultural production, and one of my favorite examples is actually those remote sensing drones.、Um, they're able to analyze plant growth, you know, their diseases, their needs for water and fertilizers, and that really helps to、um, engage in the so-called smart or precision um, um, agriculture. Um, and so I think you know if we're able to、um, you know facilitate infrastructure building and also with government's investment and construction in some of the you know physical and digital infrastructure and also help to train、um, farmers right so a lot of local governments、um, and also university educated village leaders、um, they're able to voluntarily train farmers. Um, so, with all these efforts, I think we can really take advantage of technologies、um, to promote equality.、Mm. If, okay. if I can just add one thing,、yeah. I think I think one of the、uh, crux issues here is who's going to own the IP, and that's the real difficulty. You have places、uh, that were mentioned: the U.S., Europe, China, etc. They have advanced; they're going to be the ones who、uh, develop these new algorithms, these new machines,、uh, softwares, and everything like that, and that will create an uneven base. Uh, and I think that's part of what this,、uh, you know, shared future is about: is making sure that other countries are part of this. It also may、uh, require that、um, the, globally people start looking at the length of time that、uh, patents are granted. And the reason I say that is, in the past,、uh, you know, if you were building something in some country, you needed a lot of time to promote it, to build it. It was very、uh, capital intensive. But today, an algorithm can literally be implicate、uh, can be implemented and put into service within seconds. All right,、mm-hmm. so you don't have this long period of time. So there's going to have to be a look at how we、uh, handle intellectual property, how long it lasts, and how some of that is shared,、uh, not just、uh, by the inventors, but globally in terms of the benefits.、Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, Yan Liang, professor of economics and international studies at、uh, Willamette University in the United States, and Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at what's behind the U.S. tech layoff trends. And stay with us. Welcome, I'm Elaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Facebook parent company Meta has announced the first major job cuts in the company's 18-year history, firing 11,000 employees. The cut, roughly 13% of the workforce, will be the largest this year by sheer numbers in the tech sector. Earlier, Twitter started laying off employees after Elon Musk's takeover. 
So first, Ina, so Meta said it was laying off more than 11,000 people or about 13% of its workforce. So tell us what's the current situation of the company Meta? What challenges does it face and why do they need to do such a big job cuts? Well, over-promising and and underperforming. Basically, they were betting everything on the metaverse. That's why they changed their name. And they thought that they had the kind of uh, entry point because the the issue is how do I get into the metaverse? And they've been looking at these different glasses and things like that. But to date, nothing has come up uh, that's within the price range and also comfort range of consumers. Mm-hmm. So, Yen, so what do you think about the current situation of Meta? Yeah, I think I agree with uh, Anna, and I think there are very specific reasons that are affecting Meta. And I think in general, there are maybe five different changes that we have seen recently. Uh, one is that, you know, Facebook, um, which is the main, uh, you know, sort of business of Meta, uh, we have seen the user growth has hit a hit ceiling, and they actually have lost um, some of the users, half a million, as a matter of fact, um, in the last quarter, uh, in the fourth quarter um, um, last year, I mean, this year, sorry, compared to um, the previous uh, quarter. Um, so, you know, if they lose the users, right, then the business is in trouble. Um, and then the second reason, I think, is there has been some changes in Apple's uh, practices. For example, they introduced an app says they, uh, that basically allow the users to opt out um, for apps like Facebook to monitor their online activities. And so that really uh, reduced the attractiveness of, uh, you know, Facebook as a advertisement uh, channel. So that really caused about $10 billion loss for Meta, uh, for Facebook. Um, and then I think the third factor has to do with competition. Uh, Google is taking some of the advertising share away from, uh, you know, Facebook, from Meta. And TikTok has presented interesting, you know, competition um, for, you know, some of the uh, apps uh, under Meta. And then the last two factors, I think, has to do with um, one is that uh, Zuberger spent a lot of money on metaphors, uh, Mm. metaverse. Um, And so that definitely drained um, the company's resources. And it could, again, present a very interesting challenges of how that could be sustainable. And last but not least, um, Meta has faced multiple investigations lately, um, including a very aggressive um, FTC's investigation on if it is behaving in an anti-competitive manner um, because, as we all know, um, it has bought Instagram and um, you know some of the other very influential social medias in the past without any problems. But now I think it's time um, that investigators look into these matters. So, with all these very specific matter-related reasons, we have seen it going um, down these days. But of course, the trouble does not just. Uh, it's not refined, right? Confined to just Meta, but to many other tech companies. Mm, to many other tech companies. So Dan, so what do you think are the main reason, or what's behind the tech layoff trend in the U.S. big tech companies? Uh, this general trend is quite consistent with the post-pandemic recovery. Because we know that the tech companies actually benefited a lot in the beginning of the pandemic. People stay at home, they do more e-commerce, and they spend more time online. So including Meta, uh, many of the tech companies have increased their employment very aggressively. Meta alone increases the workforce in 2020 and 2021 by 60%. A similar situation in Google and in Salesforce. And people were too optimistic about the future. And now with this correction, uh, laying off some workers will reduce their cost by a big deal. 
And uh, they are also anticipating uh, more of a recessionary uh, phenomenon in the coming one to two years. And if that happens, it means people will have even less money to spend for those online activities. Um, and I just think uh, the hiking of uh, interest rates, the interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, will just put more pains on those tech giants. Mm. And Yen, so earlier, Twitter also said it would start laying employees off after Elon Musk's takeover. And Twitter and Meta are not the only tech business announcing layoffs. Other also includes the Lyft, Amazon, etc., etc. So what do all these layoffs mean for the U.S. labor market? And will this trend continue? Yeah, I think that it's exactly the trillion dollars question, right? If that layoff and, you know, that uh, retreat, is it really just industry specific? Like uh, Wang Dan just talked about where there has been a, you know, hiring spree. And so now it's a natural downward adjustment or this is going to be more an economy wide phenomenon. So we know that in um, October, there were more jobs being added and beating the expectation, uh, but the unemployment dictate ticked up to 3.7%. And I agree with Wang Dan. I think one of the things is that interest rate hikes are going to bring more sluggish economic growth, consumer sentiment, and at, therefore, I think job losses, even if right now the job market is still pretty strong and, and tight. Um, so I do think that it's not only because, you know, these our tech companies are now come to the revelation that they have to readjust um, their hiring practices. But I also think um, this does in some ways foreshadow um, that looming recession and, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, layoffs in other industries as well. Mm. And then so what does it mean for the future development of the big tech company and for the industry? Because some say the tech sector, they need high quality talents rather than a huge number of employees. So what do you think? Uh, for the tech industry, it doesn't only employ uh, the high quality talents. Uh, it has all kinds of different departments and supporting functions. And even in this layoff uh, tide, those departments are under different influence. When we look at uh, a certain type of workers, like, for example, the marketing department, they are under high risk of being laid off. And probably the sector, uh, the department won't see any meaningful expansion in the coming years. Uh, experimental division will be affected as well, since the companies have less to submerge. But for uh, the base uh, scientific research, like uh, data engineers, they remain in high demand. There's still a shortage. So I don't think the tech industry as a whole is affected. It is just that for the supporting functions, uh, they would need to figure out a way to really cut costs and improve efficiency. Mm. Well, thank you, Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics at Willamette University in the United States, and Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.